welcome to the Recycler Podcast. My name is David Connett, and I'm joined today by our resident guest, Sultan Matthias, the Director of International Business Development at GM Technology. And today we're talking about MPS and diversification. A couple of topics to keep us all on our toes this summer. Welcome, Zoltan. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure to come back. So let's kick off with MPS. To go in line with your editorial about the MPS, we've been looking at the future of the MPS ourselves and we had a loads of conversation. And then there are guys talking about coffee pods and why, why don't we take over the coffee pods together uh, with the MPS service? So it all gets more complex and I think there's a lot of players that will be presenting the Ambiente could become a potential or it could be beneficial for the remanufacturing industry to get the message across and especially with the sustainable arguments and with the current state of the affairs in the industry and in Europe. Yeah. So, so how do you think MBS is going to evolve? Well, that's a... That's a conversation for seven, seven or eight podcasts, I think. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we being an MPS provider ourselves, we've been kicking this ball around since a while. And how do I think? I mean, of course, changing, of course, affected by COVID, of course, affected by the home office environment, of course, affected by the tech, the, the entire tech stack of companies and all the technical stuff is evolving. So I think number one would be the new type of work patterns that are coming across. And here I would stop for a while because we've been talking about like, okay, so there's a new pattern, there's a new type of work, there's a hybrid office model, and a lot of people talking about a smarter workplace, yeah. right? So for me, smarter workplace, obviously you need technology, you need the people to adapt with this technology and take up this smarter way of working, and then there is sustainability with all that. So I think these three aspects are becoming very interesting when we talk about the future of work, hence the future of MPS or services related to the workplace. Technology has to become more user-friendly. I think that's the big challenge of technology, to come down and make sure that those workers don't see technology as a something extra work that I need to deal with now. That I'm sitting home, I had to bring on this fantastic CRM, and all it makes is three hours of extra work of typing stuff in there. Or you can look at the example of Zoom and how it took the market from Skype and on all the predecessors because of the user experience or the UX that it deployed. So it has to be more, more efficient. It has to adapt to people. It has to serve people. So technology is very important. So an MPS service has to bring benefits and a lot of values to the user, to the management, and obviously to the provider as well. So there will be a lot of improvement, I think, and there will be a lot of challenges that some MPS service will solve and some of them will not solve. So technology-wise, I think that's very interesting. Then moving on to the part that I said, the people, the second part, people, especially working in home office, it's for me, it's a lot about work-life balance. It's a lot about waking up in the morning and having your coffee mug and in 15 minutes you're, you know, you're writing an essay to a, <laughs> to a client instead of sitting in traffic jam. And you're right. And at the same time, if you want to take an hour out to go and get your hair cut. Yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe, like, you know, maybe I have a bad habit of uh, going to the gym in the afternoon at about five, but then I'll sit back to work a little bit. And then if I have to do something, maybe I'll, I'll have dinner, Spanish dinner time with the family at 
8.30 or 9 in the evening, but I still can run upstairs to my home office and do something if I absolutely had to get that done for the next day. So it gives a lot more flexibility, and even if it's a little bit of contradiction there, but this, for me, this is more of a work-life balance than being tied into an office and tied to an hour. I agree. You know, I mean, I enjoy breakfast and reading all the papers. I used to get them delivered, but now I read them online. Right. But I enjoy that. You know, I'm a news junkie. And and again, Stephanie's got this search algorithm that pulls out news from all over the place. And that's all going to be reviewed and read. So, so Stephanie does it. I don't get involved with that. And her team go through that. And then about 10 o'clock in the morning, it's okay. We got a dozen stories. And, and then she'll ask me, oh, do you know this person? Do you know that person? Uh, et cetera. And the context, et cetera. It's like yesterday, classic story came in. Armour have acquired the free colour brand. And I said, well, okay, they've done that, but is it a big brand, really? I said, I think it's more interesting to explain that Free Colour came out of KNU Printwear, which Clover bought yeah. in 2012, and how they brought TRS. And she didn't put it in, but I said, how to waste 60 million euros buying KNU Printwear, TRS, and Demotech, and then withdrawing from Europe. That's a good story there. I immediately remember the KNU when they came out with this brand. I remember I was back at uh, back at Forbox back then. But yeah, so, you know, back to the original topic of it, technology and people, I think it's more of a comfort thing. And when it comes to MPS, in terms of my work-life balance, I have an MPS and if there's an app on my phone and I can take a look at my total levels, for example, that is something that is beneficial for me. Like the newbie printer. For example, yeah, I've been testing that. And then the third aspect for me, this change of work pattern, is sustainability. Obviously, it's a big deal for us and it's a big thing for us. We have to talk about this, but, you know, the golden rule that I always be saying that the most environmentally friendly, the cheapest, and the most importantly for the dealer, the most profitable MPS always uses remanufactured printers and always uses remanufactured component cartridges and other consumables. Yeah, yeah. And now, if the new work pattern says that sustainability will become a more important decision-making factor, I was talking to people last week about public tenders. Each and every public tender awards extra points for lower energy consumption on, on machines. So that's a sustainability aspect of it. Reuse, it's a big thing. Reuse doesn't, it's not only makes it greener, it makes it more profitable and more, more competitive on, on pricing, obviously. Being carbon neutral, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, all the, all the aspect of sustainability. So I think these three factors definitely will influence how MPS will evolve, let's say, post-pandemic. So a lot of the feedback we've got since we went out Quite a few people have said they don't want to comment. And one I followed up on, and he said, well, I think MPS is going to change, but I don't want to comment simply because the biggest barrier in MPS are the dinosaurs that sell MPS. Mm -hmm. He said, we have a more informed customer base now. It used to be you went in and, oh, yeah, we solved this, we solved that. The guys earn big commissions. You know, they earn commissions from the finance. We're paying our technicians 40,000 euros a year, and it costs another 25,000 euros a year to keep them on the road, the vehicle, etc. You've got to earn that from everything. He said, and that whole model is changing. Our dilemma is that young people don't want to sell it because it's like dinosaur technology. He said, it's like if you run a garage, you can recruit somebody to sell an electric car, but nobody wants to sell secondhand petrol and diesel cars because, you know, they know come 2030, 2035. And I think this is where we are with MPS to a certain extent. The audience is more informed. 
So it will change and it will change, I think, significantly in favour of the reuse, remanufactured model. Now, whether the OEMs do that themselves or it's done by third parties like yourself is secondary. I have a friend who's involved in public procurement in the UK. He's basically shared some insights. They've done an analysis. They've got about 100 printers and their NPS is coming up for renewal later on this year. I think it'll actually kick in next April, but apparently they start the negotiation. And they've identified, they've done all the things, the page counts, etc. They've worked out that they've got A, too many printers. They've got the wrong printers in the wrong departments. <laughs> and that if they take a different approach, and here they're looking at, why are we changing the printers? Do we need to change them? What happens if we keep the printers an extra three years? And the company came straight back and said, well, you know, it's going to be harder to support spare parts, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, that's just bullshit. At the end of the day, if you've got 100 printers and you only need 72, you've got 28 spare printers. But the net result was on the strategy that they're evolving, they could save £120,000 a year, which is three nursery teachers. It's eight lifeguards to work in the swimming pool. Right. Just from changing the way they do it. Yeah. The dealers that we talk to all say that MBS still has a place, but it is going to change. And, and certainly three dealers, all Conic and Minolta dealers, they're going bigger. They're taking on more brands. Yeah. And one in particular said in the last year, they've placed over 100, 112 devices and 40% of those now have been refurbished, reused. I don't know if he's bought anything new and he's got no workshop. He's got no engineers on the road. If there's a problem, he's got a contract with somebody who will go in and say, oh, I'm from so-and-so and do it. And he gets an invoice and pays mm. it. His overheads are incredibly low. His pricing is very competitive. And he tells me, and I have no reason to disagree, he's making more money now than he was when he was a full service owner. And back to what you said, the customers are more informed. Yeah. And because what you just explained, it requires the customers to have certain insight. But <laughs> not, all, not everybody is that lucky. So I think also it's something to do with how the MPS market is set up because there's a lot of streamlining. There's a lot of subcontracted MPS sales is going on. In essence, those MPS dealers or service providers are just a sales company. They don't supply the machines. They don't ship. They don't deliver. They have no inventory. Supplier does that. They have no technicians. All they do is go out there, get the client, sign the contract, and off you go. And there goes the financial side of it. If I'm a sales organization, we just do that. My interest is to not to lower or save money to my client because my cash margin is going to be smaller. In essence, I just want to be out there and plug in the machine and the service package that I have from my supplier behind me, be it as an original or an alternative supplier. That B2C becomes M2C, manufacturer to consumer, and I think there's a lot of things to be done there because, like many cases, the system could be erroneous that way and it doesn't drive necessarily what the customer needs. Since we are dealing with more informed customers, they tend not to like that. Yeah, and the whole market really is going to pivot. Mm -hmm. It's inevitable that the pandemic, you know, work from home, etc., has changed the office model. And I think the traditional office print dealer is probably... I don't want to say it's time limited, but it, that is probably the, going to be the fastest growing sector because I quite clearly see from the people that I talk to that the IT network VAR sellers are taking ownership of the network in their customers. And then basically they take ownership of what gets connected to the network from specifying and supplying the servers, the cloud connectivity, the app. 
everything. And I don't think the average office print dealer is able to up their game. If you go back over the last 10 years, Conica Minolta have bought up all these different companies with a view to doing exactly that. But they can't do it and they haven't done it. So now they're writing off lots and lots of money because they've owned these companies and they can't make that integration work. And the barrier to that is the failed business model. Konica Minolta is and was a manufacturer of photocopiers and they sold them through MPS, etc. They had the vision, right, we buy up the companies, which they did, but nobody had the vision. How do we train our sales force to rethink what they do and what they deliver? Right. The cost aspect, I mean, MPS, it has it in its name. It's a service business. Yeah. It's a service providing business. Yeah. And, you know, back to the cost, I always say where MPS is going to evolve. I'm a tech guy. I like tech. So, like, I've seen in other industries, AR and VR taking a quite important or starting to scratch that service providing space, uh, say augmented reality or service contracts designed by user assisted service calls. Instead of sending a technician there, what digital tools we can use so the user can fix his problem. Now, okay, he's going to say, well, if I have to fix my problem, but when he sees that contract is getting 20% cheaper because the technician doesn't have to go there, he might reevaluate the dire cost structure and the design of the machines that are being used. They are modular. If you look at modern photocopiers or printers, who says that the user doesn't is not able to replace a fuser unit? Yeah. I mean, this is all how we're going to make that possible. I think all the AR, VR has a place in, in all kinds of service offering now to get the cost of giving that service down. I agree. Completely agree. Yeah. So this was these were my thoughts on MPS. I think it's an interesting space, but it's going to be integrated into other services and, and it's definitely going to evolve. And like always, whoever solves the problem better is going to win. And I think that there are a lot of new problems to be solved. Yeah, I think here, classic case now is which of the OEMs takes the lead in evolving their MPS offering? Yeah. And then the aftermarket will move forward and evolve it because I don't see that any of the OEMs have a consistent strategy for the future. Probably Rico is probably out there the leader and a little bit what Lexmark are doing in terms of making their mm-hmm. technology last longer, but the rest of them I don't see it. Now, if they have a strategy, then it's a very good secret. Yeah. You know, circling back a little bit to the whole setup of the MPS marketplace and the entire service chain, I think. Customer service is sometimes forgotten in this entire, because putting the customer back to the center of NPS has to be the secret. Because we have sales organizations running around signing contracts with machines that we supply. I'm talking if I would be a manufacturer. But then, you know, where is that customer service? Where is that ticketing system? Where is that reaction? Who's doing that? Because nobody's interested to do this. Because obviously it's a cost. And my thought was, and actually I wrote this down because it sounds really nice. But on a declining market, if you're able to re-feed your funnel, taking care of those clients and making sure they repeat, it's always uh, more profitable to get more lifetime value out of those customers. And it's easier to make that whole thing more profitable, hence more competitive on price than continuously onboarding new ones and losing out on customer experience. Exactly. In, In a declining market, customer service is king. Right. 
Yes, you need sales professionals that can close mm-hmm. deals, but dare I say it, customer service is as important. You need to close deals because that's the lifeblood of the business, but you also have to keep your customers, and that's where really good customer service comes in. And this is where augmented reality or artificial intelligence does come in, because you imagine you get a phone call nine o'clock in the morning, and say, oh, this is so-and-so from, you know, we've just seen that your number three photocopier, the fuse is overheating. Is it in use at the moment? If it is, when you finish, could you turn it off for half an hour and then switch it back on again? And okay, you know, that that's good because problem is solved. I think that we're going to be talking a lot about MPS over the next few months, Sultan. It's going to be a, a pretty hot topic. So you've been out and about now visiting a couple of shows. You know, what have you seen there in terms of uh, diversification and opportunities? Uh, the other thing I had uh, written down as I've uh, I've visited these uh, these two major trade shows, yeah. Now we're talking about on a declining market and the importance of customer service. But then I also see that on a declining market, pivoting or diversifying your business and looking at business models, looking at adjacent channels, looking at how you know where where to diversify. Just like the OEMs do. Look at Rico. Uh, look at Conica Minolta. Look at the, look at how OEMs are moving into IT, moving into service, diversifying from manufacturing. You know, me walking the show floor of Pespa for three days and and going to the plastic recycling show in Amsterdam for another two days. It made me think a lot, and it made my brain work of finding those opportunities, understanding other business models. And I think this is something interesting as well, and it's an interesting aspect that uh, Ambient tech bring to the industry and I think a lot of industry leaders are now looking at diversifying, pivoting, looking at adjacent, adjacent channels. Absolutely, yeah. because in every business there's an evolution. When Rolls-Royce first started they were making motor cars, making aero engines, they're now making nuclear reactors for ships etc. So there is always a need to diversify. I mean, you look at Armour, someone in the industry, 100 years old, started out making carbon paper. Now look at them today, you know, photovoltaic film, thermal transfer. And yes, they're doing... 3D printing filament. They are into into that as well. And so you've always got to be looking forward and moving forward. And I guess that's really, you know, the the, the key for every business in, in the industry at the moment. Yes, it, it, I, don't, I don't like the term a declining market. It, it is certainly a maturing market. But when we talk about decline, uh, it's like people have stopped printing and it. And that's not true. What has stopped is the duplication of printing. Mm. You know, technology is now advanced to such a level that you still have to print stuff out, but you don't have to print out 10 copies, 12 copies, because you can email the PDF and people can you know read it on the screen. Mm. So, you know, that to me is the change. So that I think there will always be a need to print. Coming back to MPS, that really, as I see it, that really means that we're going to be in the situation that the market as it is now is going to change quite dynamically. Because obviously, if you take the the EU agenda in terms of reuse strategy, we're not going to be making printers to replace printers that are still perfectly viable and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it. And that then means that the OEM model will have to change. They're going to have to make less printers, better printers, and more valuable printers. Yeah, yeah and that will impact the entire industry and the impact the business models. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, circling back to FESPA, I was walking around FESPA and say, okay, so what about the remanufacturing concept? 
in digital and commercial printing. It's almost non-existent. At the same time, each and every big OEM, each and every big commercial printing has been talking about echo and circular and reuse and reducing carbon footprint because we all know that commercial printing is highly contaminant. You know, we generate much more waste than office printing. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot higher cost than office printing, but there's no real remand concept there. I have not seen a company who sells used or remanufactured equipment when we're talking about equipment 100,000 plus or consumables or any alternative that is bringing the remand concept into that side. And for me, print is print. Yeah. It's not that far away. And if you look at FESPA, Echo and Circular was mainstream everywhere. I think that all of those sectors will have to change. And I think that's the real opportunity. Do we need to use solvent-based inks? Right. Now, I can understand that certain applications will need it, but all the time that they're able to print using solvent-based inks, nobody's going to evolve ink technology. They produce a, a better, more, less harmful ink yeah. that delivers the same result. Yeah. yeah. And again, it isn't just the ink, it's about the substrate. The difference between using a good quality paper and a cheap paper is huge. Yeah. And again, that's an education thing because so many times you see people say, oh, I'm not happy with this print. You say, well, you, know, you just spent 400 euros buying a new set of cartridges for your printer and you're using 2.99 paper from the supermarket, <laughs> you know, and then you can play change a paper then they do they invest in a better paper and suddenly it's oh yeah it's much better isn't it yeah, yeah. well Zoltan, that's the end of another podcast just thanks for your time today i really appreciate it take care my friend lovely all right mate take care. all right take Cheers. care bye bye thank you for listening to the recycler podcast with your host david connett if you'd like to check out all our podcasts please visit therecycler.com <laughs>